everybody. Welcome to the Monster Baby Podcast. This is a curious romp through the worlds of mindfulness and improvisation. Mm-hmm. And you are joining us on episode number seven. My name's Ted Desmaisons. My name is Lisa Rowland. As you can hear, we are outside. In the big bad world, everybody. Big bad world. Big bad world of Stanford campus. We have busted out of our limits. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so you, so this this podcast will be accompanied by the ambient noises of birds chirping, squirrels skittering up trees, buses beeping, car alarms going off, etc. Got, got a it's, couple cell phone conversations with passersby. It's wild. Yeah. It's, like, it's chaotic. But, you know, we are talking about rules in this podcast, and yeah. so we thought maybe we'll stretch them a little bit ourselves. That's right. So this is all a conversation about rules in... Rules, our relationship to rules, whether they are helpful or not... And and how they yeah how they serve the practices of both mindfulness and improvisation mm-hmm. and maybe hinder I think we talked about that a little bit yeah and some unspoken rules that Ooh. we just kind of go like by but say that? we don't even we don't even they're not they're not explicit rules maybe we shouldn't even say that we shouldn't talk about it no there's uh, just <clears throat> you know what to do <laughs> uh, so hopefully you enjoy and. Uh, it's, you got about an hour. We're here. Uh, love to share this time with you. Thank you so much for listening. It's absolutely a treat to be with you. Yeah. Enjoy. Listen on. So let's talk about rules. Let's talk about rules. Uh, I'd like to make a few rules for this conversation. All right. Rule number one. Don't touch the table. Ooh, don't touch the table. And if one of us breaks that rule, there will be consequences. The listeners will hear it. There will be a price to pay. We are working on not touching the table because the mics are hot. And listeners, you will, you will, yeah, we won't, we'll try not to impose that on you. Rule number two. No, I don't have a rule number two. Oh. I I don't want to make rules. Okay. (laughs) I thought you might have rules for the conversation. Uh, Great. We don't need rules. But so this is this is an interesting thing we're gonna we we expect we're gonna get into here is do we like rules? Do rules help? Or when do they help? When do they I, help? When do they don't? I guess the one of the things that I'm interested in talking about on this podcast is like problematic, like areas of the of the worlds of mindfulness and improv that are contradictory or. Where people have really different opinions, mm. and and where we fall on them, and how, and just exploring that the that place of of potential tension. Yes. And I have encountered teachers who say I don't teach rules, and that makes me that all that always makes me question. Well, do I teach rules? And I think I, I kind of do. I mean, I, I think I'm a believer that there are no real hard and fast rules. But it makes me question my relationship to those rules that I that I do teach or that I tend to, to reference and and so I'm yeah, so that's why I'm interested in exploring it. And I always wonder when people say that I have a little alarm bell goes off and says Is that a rule? Exactly. Yeah. Like you do I think you do have rules and you're just not stating them. Yeah. Or maybe it's like we were talking about with the the vanilla or chocolate uh-huh. in the previous episode of if you get so attached to being non-attached, wait a second. Yeah. You know. Is there some... <laughs> it's a car alarm. So we are uh, we are sitting outside. <laughs> of course there's a car alarm. 
We decided to try a podcast from outside, so you may hear some ambient noises, lovely birds joining us on our podcast. We're on the Stanford campus right next to the Oval, where is, which is kind of a loop where people park and buses roll and things like that. So That's you might hear some bikes going by and cars starting and things like yeah, that. Yeah, if you listen really carefully, you might be able to see the grand view as you come up University Palm Drive. Uh, facing Memorial uh, Church. Facing Memorial Church. As you come around the Oval, you get this beautiful view. If you listen really carefully, you might be able to see the glistening mosaic on the side of the of Memorial Church. That's right. It is pretty beautiful. Yeah. It is and pretty beautiful. And we're in a grove with all these old California oak trees and kind of quiet. It's right near where I came to graduate school, uh, so kind of fond memories for me. I used to have study groups at this table, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. And it is right, right near where I did my very first theatrical production here at Stanford University, which was Dorman Grove. The production was Into the Woods, and it took place in this grove of woods right kitty corner to where we are. Nice. So this place is thick with memory. Yeah, so part of our wanting to do this outside was just because it's a gorgeous day, try something new. But also, I thought it was kind of good. For, it's good for me to stretch. Like, I'm, I like having a quiet room for the podcast. I like having controlled environments. environments. Pristine. Yeah. And, you know, that, that there's a good part of that. It's like, let's pay attention to quality. And there's like, okay, loosen up. Yeah. So we're kind of breaking the rules here. And bit. I kind of, I, this is one of the reasons that I loved doing Shakespeare outdoors is because there's always an element that you did not expect yeah. that you get to play with. I mean, in some ways you, you open yourself to offers from the environment when you don't have control over it. That's right. And I really like that. But this gets back down to my... Uh, <laughs> love of chaos <laughs> or, or my tolerance for chaos yes that is that is different and we moved and so yours. we were originally at a different table we tried that out yeah and just found that the it was next to a tennis court and it yeah. constantly decided that was too much well it was too much for me anyway yeah. and so we moved and we also thankfully moved away from that table because underneath that first table <laughs> was like were colonies of like oh. gypsy moth Pods. It was like Pods, clearly the, these pupae. these like worm things had exited. It looked. It felt very much like that scene in Alien where she yeah. goes in and finds all of the egg pods yeah. that are incubating baby aliens, uh, except that they were all stuck to the bottom. They were very small and stuck to the bottom of this table. It was so, so, so disgusting. It's like don't cross your legs or don't put your hand under the table. So accidentally. Don't just stay very still. Don't touch it. Anyway, but, so we're we're at a pretty happy place now. Yeah. But so. you may hear some ambient noises and we thought this might be fun to try something new so let us know if you think this actually doesn't work and you think go back to your super hyper controlled environment <laughs> yeah. with, a, with a cat that's making noise every now yeah, and then yeah. do that you can let us know all right uh so okay but so let me let me ask you this yeah when you start teaching an improv class do you establish rules not not in that way i wouldn't say that i that i I mean, safety first is a rule. Sure. That feels like a pretty indisputable rule to me. Like, take care of yourself. Keep yourself and your partners safe. And do you mean that emotionally as well as physically? Uh, yeah, I do. Usually when I talk about it, I mean it physically. Okay. Like, don't don't put yourself or anybody else in a compromising, yeah. in physical danger. And if something comes up that is seems to be emotionally unsafe than it is applied in that situation as well. Okay. So 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 that's a rule of like safety first. Yeah. Um but the rules that I'm interested in exploring, like other than that I don't really set rules, except there there are tenets. And I I guess I'm also interested in the difference between a rule and a guiding principle or a value yes. of improvisation that I hold pretty dearly, like take care of your partner and 
play for the delight of your partner and, you know, accept your partner's ideas and, um, you know, do what's needed. Like those feel, those feel like, yeah, you should do those. Like those, those feel important. Yeah. So I think when I think of... And I can't think of a... I can't... Like in those situations, I can't think of a... Sorry to cut you off. But I can't think of a situation where those wouldn't apply. Right. I I think when when I think of beginning improv classes, almost everybody's going to learn yes and. Right. Now, there are some improv teachers who don't teach yes and explicitly. They don't use that language, but they're still teaching the principle. Yeah. And in improv, in order for a scene to go forward, you need to accept your partner's offer... You might be able to get a laugh by rejecting it, but it's not going to go very far, and right. that person's not going to want to play with you. So we take that as like, look, folks, if you're going to do improv, you need to do this. Yeah, listen. Listening is a rule, you know. Kind of a rule. It's kind of a rule. The yes and is kind of a rule. Yeah. And I think there's something about, well, no, let me pause on this. Eventually, that rule softens up, and so you learn how and when it's appropriate to say no. Right. Or how saying no actually can be saying yes to the premise of a scene. And maybe right. we'll get to more of that later. But there's there's a thing about at the beginning you need the rule in place to lean on, to get the chops, to build the new circuitry in the brain and be like, oh, this is how we operate. We're replacing that pattern. We're replacing the default. Yeah. The rule needs to be there. The structure needs to be there. The expectation and the holding people accountable to this crystalline structure yeah in order to get the chops to then be able to go off off the map off the map somewhere else once once you've right learned the lay of the land it's like oh you want to play jazz great learn your scales first and then do whatever you want because you've got the you've got the chops to back it up that's right so that's that's cool i think of i think of improv rules the ones that we learned at the beginning like you're saying be good to your partner make your partner look good listen yeah these are tenets they're guiding principles but for beginning improvisers, they're better treated as rules. I think, yeah. And and say yes, I think, is a really interesting rule. Or, like, don't ask questions, I feel like, is sometimes a rule. And maybe that's really what people are talking about when, they're talk, when they talk about not teaching rules. Is, like, some people have rules, like, never ask a question on stage. Questions are unhelpful. And it's like, well, no, some questions are fine and yep. some questions are not helpful. Sometimes you're only asking a question because you don't want to make something up and you don't want to make the decision. And so you're making your partner do it. And those are unhelpful questions. You're just punting the, right. <laughs> the responsibility. But so sometimes a question I, is full of information. An example of a question that would be punting a responsibility is like, oh, what's that in your hand? Yeah. Oh, what are you doing? Or, wow, look at that. What is it? <laughs> not helpful. It's What's like your partner doesn't know what it is either. It it, it doesn't exist, so somebody's right. got to make it up, so it might as well be you. But a helpful question could be like Tell me, do you do you prefer the silk to the satin for your for your ball gown for the gala? Yeah, great. You've it's just like, given us it's a, a lot question, of information. But there's so much information in it, and it's my character asking a question rather than the improviser ceding the responsibility. Right. Or if I say, What time was mom gonna be coming home from her appointment? Yeah. Although although if somebody if somebody asks that question, I might say, say when mom's coming home. Why don't you? You, you can know. Right. You can know when mom's go coming ahead and home. Know, go ahead and know it. Right. So, so and that's, I guess, another, another question, right? Like, or rather another way to think about it is, is there a reason that your character doesn't know this? Mm-hmm. If there is, then ask. But if there's not, it's just you asking a question. Establishing that you don't know. And, Establishing that you don't know. Yeah. yeah. So, so when you can, know things. Right. When you can know it, know it. 
So, I, and again, I think that's kind of a helpful rule. Mm-hmm. And for an improv coach to be able to say, um, to coach somebody say, yeah, go ahead, know it. Yeah. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah, be an expert, right? So, uh, yeah. And when we get better, when we get more skillful, more experienced, we can loosen up the, the need to lean on those rules because we've got our own chops. Like, we don't need the training wheels, almost like the rules are training wheels. Yeah. To keep us at least somewhat close to the center. Yeah. And once we've got the balance on our own, I we think, can toss yeah. the training wheels and say, okay, now you don't have to say yes. Right. Because you already know how to keep the balance of saying yes to the premise of the scene. Yeah, well, you understand the spirit of saying yes. And there could be a time when, I mean, I could imagine a time when saying no will really surprise and delight your partner. Mm-hmm. And so try it, you know, see what happens. But it takes so much, but it, you've got to get to a certain point. Right, you've got to understand the default and the power of yes before you choose not to use it, I guess, mm-hmm. is part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested in if there are these rules in mindfulness, in the mindfulness world. Like, are there, yeah, are there similar guidelines or rules and are they helpful or not? Yeah, I, mean, I think rules show up in a number of different places and, and certain, certain teachers approach mindfulness in certain ways, right? So you might get a more rigid teacher who's going to say, okay, the point of this exercise is really to focus on your breath. Mm-hmm. And if it wanders, come back, mm-hmm. come back, come back. And again, it's kind of like developing your chops. Like, well, when you're starting mindfulness, it's a good practice to learn how to hold your attention in one place. Maybe you can do that lightly. Maybe you can do that with a sense of humor and a curiosity and kindness for what's happening. But yeah, you kind of need to develop that ability. So good rule to start with being able to focus on your breath for a while and mm-hmm. hold it there. Because when you get to watching thoughts, allowing thoughts to go by or watching emotions and noting them, it, they're much stickier. Mm-hmm. They'll like take you on these trips and uh, carry you off on memories or on anxieties. And, and so if you don't have those that skill, like if you haven't played the scales of being able to bring your attention back when it wanders out the breath, when you get to thoughts and feelings, you got no chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just going to be sailing off and maybe you'll sit still, but you're gone, right? So there are certain teachers who are more strict about that than others. Um, (laughs) That was the bus nearby letting out on your side. Sad little noise. but I think the place where it really shows up is on retreat. Ah. So you you haven't gone on a silent, structured silent retreat yet. I have not. Yeah. So I went to my first one, I think my first one was at Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts. Beautiful place um, in the Vipassana tradition of Buddhism. But it's not super Buddhist. It is Buddhist, but it's not like draped in walking into a wall of Buddhism. Pretty low key. Um, But there are rules. Uh And so when you go, you're agreeing to be silent for the whole weekend. Right. And they call it noble silence. And so that means you're not speaking. uh, And it also means that you're not talking on your phone or using your phone. You're not using your computer. You're not reading or writing. And you're not making eye contact. So there are rule, these are expectations about how you're going to be together. And the rules are largely in place to enable your own self-investigation. Yeah. 
and also to establish the safe vessel for the community. Sure. Safe practice. So this is an interesting thing about like, to a large degree, I think the best rules are in place for community. Let's come back to that one. Great. But so Insight Meditation Society here, we've got these rules. Mm, I'm totally fine with not talking. Yeah. I'm fine with not reading. I'm fine with no computer, no phone, like just not a big deal. No eye contact. No eye, eye contact? contact. Yeah, no eye, no eye contact. Um, that's okay. It's a little weird for a while, but and I miss playing. With, I've missed playing with people, but the one that was really hard for me was um, not writing. Mm-hmm. And so I struggled with that rule, but there was a rule in place. Now at Insight Meditation Society, they're not monitoring you. You're on your own to figure this out and to do what you want to do, right? But there's an expectation that you're at the first meditation in the morning before breakfast and the first one after breakfast and the hope is that you'll be at the other meditation sittings and walking meditations but it's really up to you and so I like that attitude like here's some expectations and we're going to trust you to do your thing Uh and so I was able when I was there to find my own middle ground Maybe I shouldn't say this because maybe somebody's going to hear this. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> My own middle ground with a rule about writing. Buddha's going to come after you. Buddha's going to nail me on this. That for me, part of the joy and purpose of meditation is getting in touch with my creative self. And when ideas come forward, good ideas come forward, what I think are good ideas or insights, I want to write those down because I want to remember them. Yeah. And in a positive reinforcement way, it's like I want to reward the muse for showing up. Mm-hmm. So she gives a great idea, like the reward is I note that and I work with it later. And so the middle ground I found was, all right, I'm going to write this down. I won't think about it. I won't digest it. I won't process it. I won't further it. You'll bookmark it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Bookmark it. I'll come to it at the end of the retreat. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of against the rules to do that yeah do you think you lose anything by not following that rule yes what is it and I don't well I think there's probably a state of mind that you get to when you really can let go of even that attachment to I have to hold on to this yeah this good idea and so maybe in my development down the road I will try that out yeah Um, but at this point I haven't wanted to do that yeah and in fact I was scheduled for a five-day retreat last December and as I went to go on it, I thought, you know what? I really, really need to write right now. I want to make music. I want to have conversation. And so I chose not to go on that retreat. And I did a private retreat at a friend's house and didn't do internet and didn't do computer other than writing. I use it to write. And I just did a little my own retreat. But uh-huh. I really needed to be able to write. Yeah. So I didn't go. And you didn't want to have that pressure of, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Yeah. yeah. So... Okay, but contrast that Inside Meditation Society with Goenka Retreat, another Vipassana retreat, and they have retreat centers all around the country, all around the world, founded by this one guy, Goenka. Goenka. And a 10-day retreat, 10-day silent retreat, and it's very strict. And you, there's very little walking meditation, if any. It's like almost all sitting. Um, men and women are separated. Uh, and like, you don't, you know, you don't get up to adjust yourself or like, stretch like no you're sitting there working through it and um, it's just much tighter mm-hmm. and I think that they monitor people more mm. everybody I know who's gone on those retreats has found them really valuable maybe there's one person who like decided it wasn't for them but that structure provides it creates a depth of experience 
and they're listening to the same audio tapes of Goenka teaching, so they're getting him teaching, yeah, as opposed to a, a different teacher each, you know, uh, retreat. Right. I prefer the more free-flowing, like I'm in the room with a person and yeah. I'm seeing where they're going and they're teaching us and we're sitting in silence receiving it. So at a Goenka retreat, the rules are much tighter. Interesting. It's interesting. I feel that it reminds me of games, rules, that idea that rules and constraints breed creativity, that they hold are really, they, they hold hard lines, they hold hard boundaries. So that inside of that, it allows you to access deeper, deeper places of fun or play or creativity. Yeah. That if you if you tighten something down, then you your creativity can flourish within those constraints. I so feel that. And I, yeah. I I sometimes I think this is a part of my, as we've mentioned, need for control, or I can get frustrated when if I'm playing a game, and somebody's like, oh. Eh, rules don't matter. Just gonna ignore the rules. Like, why are we even playing? Yeah. The point of the play is to set up the rules to have to work against them. Right. Right. And and yet uh, there's part of me that's like, well, the improviser, like, let's just go ahead and make up a new rule. Yes, but I feel like the whole point of rules in improv games. I mean, I think I'm on your. I agree with you because I get frustrated as well. If we're not going to play a game, let's not play a game. If we're going to play a game, the rules are there for a reason, yep. and the joy comes from watching the improvisers struggle with the rules. That's yes. the whole point. So it, it 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 takes all of the wind out of the sails of the game if we if we disregard them, and and that actually is a that uh, it's interesting. It brings me to this thought about how uh, people think. I feel like there's that there's that refrain that we hear as improvisers of like, what do you mean rules? Like anything goes, right? It's improv, right? And it's like, well, no, kind of, but like there's, there is there it, but it's learnable. So you've got to be able to break it down it's, into what's the it when you say improv. It's improv is learnable, okay. so it's it can be broken down into pieces and bits, and all of those things are skills to learn. And so maybe we're talking about skills and not rules. Maybe that makes it easier. Me. So you're, you're. I want to hear this again. You're saying maybe yeah. it's skills and not rules. Well, I don't know how the. I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what my point is, <laughs> except that, except that, the rules are helpful structure. Yeah. Rules and guidelines are helpful structure. That it, that improv is not just randomness. That there are ways that we approach building on one another's ideas and building something out of nothing, and so. This is, I'm, this is a different. <laughs> I'm kind of lost. I've lost the train here. Well, I want to. I want to come back to this thing about the, you know, setting up the games as like we we choose an obstacle to be able to push against. It. That's yeah. what makes sense of the game. Right. There's a definition of play that says that play is the overcoming of unnecessary obstacles. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I love that definition. Yeah. It's like we're gonna choose some obstacles. Right. It's like and see it's if like we can get over them. It's like when you're a kid and you're like you play hot lava and you've got to walk on the furniture because the carpet is lava. It's exactly. like that's not you've made that up. Yeah. But it's fun to play with it. Right. And yeah. if you're just like, oh, there's no lava, or oh, I've got impermeable boots, I can right. walk on anything. And it's no fun. Well, so what's the point? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm always. I just get really disappointed if somebody takes a scene and. They just ignore the premise of the scene. Yeah. You know. 
Right, well, I guess there, because there is this, I think the other part of play is that there is an agreement that we are coming together on the field of play, right, on the playing field, mm. and we're going to both choose to play by these rules. Like, any sports, any, any, any sport is this. Like, all of the players agree that these are rules we're going to play by. Mm -hmm. That's how the game works. That's why we are able to play together, is that we, we agree on this. And, I, and so the, when somebody doesn't choose to buy into that, yeah. it can destroy the fabric of play, the fabric of the play. So I'm, I'm, this is the second time we've mentioned something similar where it's like, I think that the sense of rules comes from the community. Like the rules are there to support the community and that they really only work if the community is buying in. Mm -hmm. And by community, it could be two people. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I suppose I could make up a game for myself and set up a rule and yeah but then if I break it then I'm not playing the game anymore so yeah there's something here something about that mm. about rules supporting the community mm-hmm yeah here's an interesting one a lot of folks when they teach improv talk about crow c-r-o-w character relationship, objective, where. So the idea is that, hey, in the first like minute, you and your partner need to establish these four elements of a scene. Figure out who your characters are, what's their relationship. One moment, please. It's very loud. Madam President, it's great to see you here at the White House. I'm so glad you made it safely. <laughs> it might be a med center helicopter, huh? It looks like a med center helicopter. Yeah. Uh, okay. Character, relationship, objective, where? That you, in the first minute of the scene, you want to establish those things so everybody knows what's going on. Yeah. And some people teach that, like, that's super important. you got to do that. And other people are like, look, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It'll show up. Pay attention to what's happening between you. Yeah. What's the feeling? What's the, what's the emotion? Yeah. Find that and let everything emerge from that. Yeah. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't know where I fall on this yet. I know that I love it when things emerge organically. And especially when I'm in a scene with someone, I love it when things get named. Yeah. But I don't like the, I don't like the artificial naming of like, no. well, Julie, as my sister, it's really important that you made it here to my graduation and that we're here in the lobby of my, you know, yeah. administration building. Right. Like, nobody ever talks like that. I, I, so, I don't mind when improvised lines don't sound like natural lines. I think there is a, there, because they, we have to say things we wouldn't say in real life because we are under a different set of circumstances, yes. right? Like there, there, is a, there are different demands on us. And sometimes, I call this the awkwardness clause when I teach this, is that sometimes it is worth the awkwardness of declaring something unnaturally in order to clarify confusion. Right. So, so my hit is that it's a matter of when does it need to be named? If there's something happening at the beginning of the scene that's juicy and interesting, keep following it. If at some point you notice things are a little bit muddy and you're not sure how to proceed because you don't know who you are to each other, then name it. Yeah. And if that, if that naming needs to sound like, well, you are my sister after all, which you wouldn't say in real life, so be it. It, it helps the story, yes. it helps the scene, it helps the audience 
uh, dispose of the confusion, which will distract them from just taking joy in what they're watching. Got it. What I like about what you just said is that, well, in that particular instance, it's just one tick. You're like you're naming one thing. Mm -hmm. I think what I get caught up on is when it's like this whole somebody was going to establish all of Crow right. in one statement at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. But say that you said that what do you call it the awkwardness clause. The awkwardness clause. So say it like again. the awkwardness disclaimer or something that it is worth the awkwardness. The clar clarity is worth the, the awkwardness of saying something you wouldn't say in real yeah. life. Okay, as you said that, I was thinking of, oh, that's good for relationships. And I totally will live by that. Totally. It's like, all right, you know what? I don't know what's happening in this relationship. And, and it I feels like it might be awkward to bring it up. But, but the clarity is worth it. Yeah, because yeah. every other thing I do after this point is depending on what's happening in this relationship. So let me get clear on this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, maybe I've gone a little too far on the awkwardness side of the equation. <laughs> Some of my relationships out there. If, if you're listening, if you know listening, who you are. Yeah. I apologize for that. <laughs> but I'm just seeking clarity. Yeah. No, I, I love that. that and, and I guess there comes a point where the, clarity is the, the lack of clarity is uncomfortable. Maybe at the beginning, the lack of clarity is not uncomfortable. And so naming things is just inventing stuff because it's a rule. So I guess maybe the interesting question here is what is your relationship to the rules? Or, or knowing when to... Oh, man. I was going to say knowing when to in, invoke one rule or another. Oh, yeah, great question. So this is, I think, really skillful improvisers do this on the fly all the time. Like You can look at each other and go, are we doing that game? We playing that game for a little bit here? Yeah. You know, within a scene, right? It's like, oh, that's what we're doing. Okay, great. Let's do yeah. that. Now, now we're going to play by the rules of that game within this other one, and then we're going to let go. Or, right. You know, now we're going to avoid. No, we're going to. We're not going to operate by rules. And we are okay with that because we sort of made eye contact, and we. Are you cool with this? You're going to. Yeah. Okay. Normally we're starting positive. Normally we're going to choose a positive scene start, but. But what if I start super, yeah. yeah. Go for it. We got it. I'm with you. Yeah. Three for All is a wonderful improv improv trio, Rafe Chase, Tim Orr, and Stephen Kieran. And they're actually playing on October 1st. So Here in calendar San Francisco. It. I want to say in north of San Francisco in Mill Valley. Mill Valley. At the Throckmorton. Yes. Um, Love that word. Throckmorton. Throckmorton. It's a great word. Uh, but they talk about improv with no rules or improv without a net. I think they talk about improv with no rules. And they, they really, I think a lot of what they do is they subvert the unspoken rules of improv. Ask for a suggestion and then start a scene. Like, well, what if... We don't ask for a suggestion. What if we don't ask for a suggestion? What if you approach the audience and ask... I've seen Tim do this a number of times. You approach the, the audience and ask for a suggestion, and I treat it like a line of dialogue. Like, I recontextualize your asking the audience for a suggestion as a, hey, I heard you saying something in here to yourself. What's talking to yourself again what's going on you yeah. know and I turn that into an offer in a scene um, so those are that's kind of like subverting unspoken rules but I think also things like starting positive like I don't think those are not hard and hard and fast yeah and it's exciting to it's like well what happens if we break them yeah again I think I want to see somebody master master the rules before they get off on breaking them yeah and it's almost like I don't know if it's like a put in your put in your time or if it's I just I want to be confident that you've got the structure, you know what you're leaving behind. And maybe that's it. You know what you're leaving behind. You understand what the rules give you. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's not a, it's not, so it's a choice. It's not a default. I think that's the thing with rules, especially that say yes rule or yes and rule is that our default is to make our partner wrong and say no. <laughs> so the rule forces you out of the default. And when yeah. we first, when we first start, it is a helpful rule to keep in mind when in doubt, say yes, when in doubt, say yes. Even when you're not in doubt, even when you're sure you want to say no, say yes. <laughs> Because it rewires the default. So once you've done that and you understand why you have seen the difference of where a scene can go if it starts in this positive, generative, kind of fertile place. And then you understand, because maybe it's this, maybe it's that you understand the spirit of the rule, right? So you understand that the spirit of starting positive gives you these three things, right? It gives you generativity, it gives you uh, um, possibility, it gives you connectedness. Right. Okay, so then if you can start a scene negative and maintain maintain those those three things, do it. Yeah. Right? So, like, understand what, why is the rule there? Right. And then, and then whatever way you get to that, go for it. Yeah. You know? Well, and then there's... This reminds me of... So I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, you got it. It reminds me of what? Well, I feel like one of the things I really like about Buddhism, my understanding of it, is it's like not a preachy... It's not preachy. It's kind of like, try it. Yeah. See what you get. See what you notice. Yeah. And I love that. I love that kind of the proof is in the pudding. So if this doesn't work for you, don't do it. Right. But if it works for you, do it. And And so it feels like... Follow the rules, see what it provides for you, see yes. what it gives your scenes, and then you can choose your relationship to it. Yeah. Well, this is uh, when the Buddha was dying, you know, his close people were gathered around him, like, what are we going to do? You know, he's, our fearless leader is leaving us. And they ask him, you know, what should we do? And he says, uh, make of yourselves a light. Make mm. of yourselves a light. Mm. Be your own fearless leader, yeah. You know, and so this awakening, this idea of enlightenment, it's not about me, the Buddha. It's about you finding it in yourself and being it yourself. And you're going to find that through experimentation, like I did. Yeah. Right. That reminds me of, fuck you, Keith. Remember that? (laughs) Do you remember this? I do. I vaguely remember the story. So Melissa Seaman at the Stanford Improvisers reunion told this story, but I've also heard that this is, is, it's a tactic he uses with students who are clearly trying to please him. And we're talking about Keith Johnstone. Yes. Keith Johnstone, creator of theater sports, author of Impro, big, big thinker in kind of the world of modern performance improv, one of the forefathers of of that. He's still up in Calgary, but yeah, he's a, he's a great guy and a very eccentric guy. Yeah. And he, and he'll, he'll (laughs) talk about when people get into that relationship with him of like, does he like it? Does he like it? What's Keith think? Like checking in with Keith while they're on stage, checking in to see if he, if he, if they're doing it right. And he has them stop. Anyway, Melissa Seaman told this story about who's a, also a, a Stanford improviser about how he said, stop, stop, look at me, say, fuck you, Keith, <laughs> because it, like, dethroned him yeah. for and her. And he made her repeat it several times until she really meant it. Until she really meant it. And then she was much freer to do Yeah, at first she said, fuck you, Keith. He goes, I don't believe you. And she, she had to say it again. Yeah. Well, there's something about, excuse me, there's a bunny over there. You're kidding. There's oh my God, moving, there's a bunny. Moving through the grasses <gasps> with long, beautiful ears. Huge ears. This is not Luna, my cat, wandering around the living room. This is a bunny. That's cool. Oh my God, a bunny. A bunny. This cute moment is brought to you by rabbits. Stanford, Stanford bunny. All right. There's something about 
the rule and pushing up against it like some people just don't like rules mm -hmm. and so any rule you put in place they're going to try to bust it down just mm -hmm. for the sake of busting it down but so okay here's another here's another thing um what do we do about expectations rules about um what's appropriate or not appropriate like what you know, how do we know what's an appropriate scene? Can we use certain language? Can hmm. we can we do uh, racially charged scenes? Mm -hmm. Can we use profanity on stage? Can we use derogatory terms? Or like, can we use accents? Right? All this stuff. And I think a lot of these rules are unspoken. But hmm. there's a kind of a oh, no, we're not going to tread in that territory. Maybe the rule is don't go there. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, like, I wouldn't feel it was appropriate for me to be doing, uh, you know, an inner-city African-American accent. Largely because I don't know that accent. Mm -hmm. I think, for me, that's the biggest thing. I don't know it well enough to be able to do it justice. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I would be leaning on a... A cartoon or a stereotype or something. Yeah. Or same thing. Well, that's also an interesting. Same thing with a Chinese accent. Yeah. Or yeah. Japanese accent or something. We've talked about this a little bit before, where there's somehow a, we're somehow allowed to lean on stereotypes when we're using Italian accents. Yeah. Or for, for me, I would feel comfortable doing German accent. Yeah. Yeah. Or an Italian accent. I can do whatever. Right, but it's still based on a stereotype. It's still based on a stereotype. Yeah, but it's a but it's a power dynamic thing, I think. Right, and so is it because I'm a white man, and so these are white cultures? Well, what the heck does white mean anyway? But or is it because these are colonial powers that mm -hmm. you know maybe it's healthy to knock them down a few pegs or something, or is it just because it's more familiar to me? Mm -hmm. So like last summer, uh, I learned I hung out with a couple of Germans, and I learned that oh I could actually refine my accent a little bit because I used to do it. Cartoonish stereotype what Nazi did it sound accent. Like, oh, a Nazi accent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So German accent yeah. was like this. Yeah. And you were always angry, and you were going to tell people what to do. <laughs> and, I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like it's either that or it's like sprockets. And now we dance. This yeah. very kind of flamboyant, yeah? Right. Germans, it sounds like this. Right. Yeah. And, and I, my friend Norbert said, you know, there actually are intelligent Germans. So I learned to do this kind of German accent, which yeah. is much more sophisticated. Yeah. It's a different it's, kind of person. It's not exactly precise, no, but no. it is an accent nonetheless. Yeah. I feel like the danger there, I mean, my rule for playing members of groups that I do not belong to, whether that's German or Japanese or what, whatever, whatever it is, is to, and granted, there are accents I just don't know how to do, so I don't do them. And that covers a lot of different groups of uh, groups of people, um, but is to you got to play people, right? If you notice that every time you do this accent, you play this kind of character, that seems like a problem to me. Right, there's a pattern, and it's a stereotype of a kind of person. Yes. So it's not just a problem because it's a pattern. Okay. But it's a problem because it's like the German in my head is an angry Nazi. Right. Which perpet which perpetuates a like it propagates a. a you're sending a message about Germans, like you're playing this right. kind of German person. You are representing a kind of person, and that feels really different to me. Whereas if you if you cultivate your your whole stable of German characters, you could play a kind of shy, socially awkward, um, highly intelligent, very nasal German. Who might sound like 
I don't know. I don't know. Socially awkward, intelligent, nasally German. Yeah. What 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 she sounds like? Huh? Yeah. She's a little bit like this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know. She sounds. No, that's more British. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what she would sound. We could. We could do this. Could be another podcast. Just <laughs> playing different characters, but like just as easily as you can play an angry German yeah. and I can play like a big vivacious Italian just as easily as, as I could play a uh, kind of soft spoken you know um, very contemplative Italian a tinkerer do, do you know yeah exactly so I think the danger comes when we start to play only one kind of person that is attached to this accent um, that said there are those stereotypes that feel more socially acceptable acceptable to play with than others and I feel like that is a matter of of power dynamics in society, of like, yeah. who are we, who are the actors, and what position in society do they hold, right? And in, and in, I feel maybe we've talked about this, but like in stand-up comedy, it's called punching up or punching down. Right, we haven't talked about it on the podcast, but we've talked about it outside, yeah. Yeah, that there's a, that, that it, you can make jokes at the expense of people who have, who are, who are tend to be parts of groups that are more advantaged than your own, right. or equally. Yeah. But it is not cool to make jokes at the expense of people who, who tend to be parts of groups that are less advantaged than your own. Right, and we're, yeah, I, I get that. So we're, but we're not talking about making jokes at the expense of, ideally. I mean, we're talking about playing characters. Right? Yeah. So I think, I think the... But I wonder if it could look one... I think the, the you could be aiming for one thing hold. and it could look a different way. Absolutely. And there's also a question of, like, do I have... I don't know. Do I know enough about... This is a cr- tricky question. That's the thing. I think is do I know enough, right? So I am fine with following the rule. Don't go there. Unless you know enough to go there and to be respectful and insightful. Yeah. And, and, you know, so... Um, I mean, even just that little bit we did about the Germans, like, I feel comfortable putting that on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But if we were doing that with Chinese accent, I'm like, eh, I don't know enough about Chinese accent and English to be able to do that. Yeah. But if we're Like, gonna, I can't do an accurate, I can't do a, a good accent. It's not going to be strong enough. Right. And then, so my discipline... But so is that just with accents or is that with people? Both, I think. Mm-hmm. Or, or characters. Even, or certain subject matter. Yeah. But so let me finish the thought on the accent, which is, like, with an Indian accent... So India, Southeast, South Asian India. I have spent more time around Indian people through being with Amma, a woman who's considered a saint in India. And so I can feel more comfortable yeah. speaking in an Indian accent, which was not be perfect, but is a little bit something like this. Yeah. Because it's going to be okay. Right. Uh, and I can do that in a way that's not going to be uh, perpetuating a stereotype. So that's that's fine. And so my... Discipline is to say, let me get good at that, good enough at that before trying it out in public. Okay, so how does that come up? I'm sorry, carry on. (laughs) Get good at that enough in (laughs) private before bringing it out in public. Mm -hmm. And I do that with a certain group of people. So again, honoring the the rule of like, don't go there unless you've got the skill to go there. And my discipline is to to get familiar with that. And so if I want to do African-American stories justice because I'd love to be able to bring those stories on stage somebody's got to bring them on stage Mm -hmm. if I'm just ignoring them then I'm missing out on this whole aspect of world history and world possibility my obligation is to go develop that fluency to read novels and to see movies yeah I would I would suggest that maybe our obligation is to do what we can to increase diversity and improvisation on the improvisational stage and that as well (laughs) yeah of all for all all of you know but I, I'm interested in how that 
how your personal rule on that intersects with you're an expert. Mm. And if you find your... I do... I play things all the time that I know nothing about, and my job is to pretend that I'm an expert on them. Yeah, so, so say a little bit more about you're an expert. So the expert adjustment in improvisation is one in which you... You're always so you're always going to be put into situations where you don't you don't actually have the knowledge, but we're in a fictional world, right. and so, so you can always make an expert adjustment and choose to be an expert in the world that you're playing. Go ahead, in. you know what you're talking about. You you yep. know what you're talking about. You know how to do open heart surgery. Go ahead, do it. Ask for the tool that you need. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of be, so that we don't just wind up being a lot of fearful, hesitant players. Pass the valve expander, please. Yeah, right. Valve expander. Here it is. Okay, great. Um, need the synchronizer. The, <laughs> right. We can make up all sorts of names for. Oh, you know, just make just make it up. Stent canopy, please. And be the stent canopy. How quaint. Um, and that when faced with a challenge of, I'm going to need you to tread into territory that you're not familiar with. I guess I can say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I have, I'm not good enough at that yet. I do not have the information to allow me to play that in a realistic and respectful way. Or, I can go and pretend that I'm an expert. So where, so things like. Is it appropriate for me to play a rabbi? Mm. Is it appropriate for me to play a boy at his, bar, at his bar mitzvah? Right. And what if you're an expert in that? Like pretending to be an yeah, expert. Yeah. Is, is that okay? Yeah. Is it appropriate for me to, um, to be at a quinceanera? You know? Is it like... At a which? A quinceanera, like a 15th oh. birthday. It's a Mexican See. celebration of See. a 15th birthday. Um, I am not of Mexican descent. I am not Jewish. I have some experience Mm -hmm. with what that looks like and what it means and the importance, but it's not my area of expertise and I haven't studied it. And you You also have a sophistication as an improviser and as a human being to be able to do those things, that bar mitzvah or that quinceanera in a way that is a real life person. I hope so. Well, I, I trust that in you. Yeah. Right. If, okay, if anybody's going to be doing these things, I'm like, please let it be Lisa Rowland. Right. Let it be some of the other folks that we know and love who are really great. Yeah. Who are sensitive to these things. Right. So I guess that I mean, always there's a sensitivity to. I need to not make light of the life experiences of people that I don't understand, or that I'm not that I to who are in a group to which I do not belong. Yeah. And are there situations in which that is not enough? Right? Like, are there situations in which, no, really, you need to know more about this before you put that on stage? Right. And where is that line? And I really don't know the answer to that. Like, you know, I I don't know what it's like to be a man. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what that's like. Does that mean I shouldn't play male characters? I don't know what it's like to be gay. Does that mean I shouldn't play gay characters? I think that always I want to veer away from stereotypes, no matter who I'm playing. And I generally don't shy away from playing those characters, but there are characters that I do shy away from playing. And why is that? You know, mm-hmm. so it, it, that that's such a, it's a really open question for me right now. Fascinating question. Again, I'm, I'm thinking of the community and like, you know, we agree to certain certain rules, to play by certain rules or certain expectations, but like we're on the same page about what we're striving to do. Mm-hmm. So we're all wanting to do theater that takes care of everybody. Mm-hmm that honors individuals and that tells real stories and that moves the audience and and we want to do it in a way that's respectful and caring. Mm-hmm. That's our goal. Yeah. And so we, coming back to this thing we've talked about, ambition versus acceptance, like we know we're going to make mistakes and so we're going to be caring with each other. 
We hope the audience will be caring with us. We'll correct our mistakes when we make them. Yeah. It's not going to be this like, oh, whoops, I just did something incredibly racist. Oh, well. Yeah. That's no, like, oh, you know, I'm going to take responsibility for that and clean it up. Yeah. So it doesn't happen again. So maybe it's like a gentleness, a gentleness on the, on the, when something happens, an assumption of best intent, an exploration of what's in there, and, a, a, and how to move forward. Yeah. And, and a, a boldness and a compassion on the front end going into the experience yeah. so that we're not locked up with fear of, of offending somebody. But we do have like those like little flags. Like we're aware yeah. that this is a territory that we should pay attention to. Mm. Not red flags, not like danger zone, but like, oh, notice, notice this. You're, en- you're entering an interesting territory. Yeah. Did you ever see the, the TV show Lost in Space? Might be before your time. No. <clears throat> there was an, it's an old, old uh, adventure, sci-fi adventure, and there was this robot that had a big glass head and he used to say, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Oh, I've heard that phrase. Yeah, that's from Lost in Space. So it's kind of like a little warning. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, so let's, let's kind of review then. Yeah. So I think I, what I've come to in this podcast is like I'm comfortable with rules as kind of setting some boundaries, like stakes in the ground to say, here's where we're playing. Mm-hmm. And it could be a, a literal playing, like this is the game we're playing. It could be like a figurative playing. We're, we're playing in this arena. And this rule is in place to kind of get us, encourage us to be our best self. And to work well together and to kind of hold the community in place. And once... Or the scene. Or, I mean, or the scene, right. Right. Community or the scene, right. So kind of going both things here. Because it could be a mindfulness community we're talking about. Yeah. But once... Right, we, or the retreat or, or whatever retreat, it is, like exactly. the experience, yeah. Once that's in place and we know that people are committed to it, if I trust that you know the spirit of the rules... I will trust you to define your relationship to the That's rules. That's right. And so in this case, the, all right, I'm going to write down my, my great idea that came to me, and I'm just going to jot it down in my journal, and I'm going to put it away. That, to me, feels like it's in spirit with the rule of I'm not engaging with my writing. Maybe it's not. But I've come to that relationship, so, okay, I can bend the rule. Or we're going to bend the yes and rule because we, we're familiar with it. Right. And, and then, I think that being... Yeah. So, and then, the, and then the last piece of the review here is that we've been talking about that. At least you and I seem to have a commitment to building our abilities to honor the spirit of those rules. Yeah. Right. So, like, you know, if if there's a rule that says don't go there, stay out of this arena, don't play in this ballpark until you're good enough. Okay, let me get good enough. Well, but that's right. That's that's. Right, that's your rule. Yeah, and it's your personal rule, right? So, sure. like, I'm I'm wondering if that's true in general of all the rules of like building my capacity to play in the spirit of the rule. Mm. Um, I think at this point I am. At this point, I'm like interested in experimenting with. What if we break the rules? What happened? What does improv look like then? And how to ha- having really understood the rules, but I actually feel like the rules that you're talking about—that's a safety first rule. Oh, interesting. <laughs> right? I mean, we're kind of back to safety first. Of like, improv needs to be a safe place, and we can't be making fun of people. Yeah. That's not what we're about. Like, we need to honor the people who come here to take it in, to participate in it. 
Yeah. We can't make this an unsafe place. So how do we make it a safe place? Well, there's, yeah, and there's a difference between breaking a rule accidentally. Yeah. Oh, shoot, I didn't mean to cross that line. Right. Versus, no, I purposely did it. Yeah, because I don't, because I've decided out. Because screw you, I don't care about the rules. Yeah, yeah. Or do you break rules in in the spirit of exploration and like, well, is it really a rule? I think the, the thing is, once you understand the spirit of the rule, you decide your relationship to that rule. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship to that rule? Like, in some ways, they go from being rules to being tools. Like, I need to, oh, that's catchy. <laughs> like, figure out what it is and then know when to pull it out. Yeah, when to lean on it. When to lean on it. When to make and it And how heavily, how hard to lean on it, yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. Tricky, tricky. So interesting. Hmm. And I'm, I, this is funny, maybe this is a, a wrong place to go towards the end of the podcast, but I'm also thinking of the delightful scenario where uh, you get together a room full of improvisers and you set up a, a circle game and you play like five circle games. Yeah. Each has their own rules. And then you say, okay, combine them all. Yeah. And so you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, a stimul- you're going to send me a sound. Normally I'd send a sound back to somebody else, but you send me a sound and I send a, a Three zip. things to somebody yeah, else. Three yeah. Things. And it's just all kind of right. this big chaos. But, but it's almost like we've agreed to the chaos and we're doing it yeah, together. Yeah, and the rule is keep playing. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you do it. Yeah. And the rule is you got to keep playing. So, yeah, it's an interesting... Once again, we come around to we've answered all the questions <laughs> we've opened Figured up more cans out. of worms thankfully we haven't opened up cans of pupae under the table <laughs> but uh, we have asked some questions and yeah and we saw a bunny and we saw a bunny i'm sorry that you listeners couldn't see that bunny but he was a very sweet little bunny oh my gosh so cute and you did hear a helicopter maybe that person got saved because they went to the hospital that's right so a lot happened out here yeah and I'm inspired to try more outdoor podcasts. I like it a lot. Okay, well, so please let us know what you thought. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I feel like the, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But anyway, it's a pleasure, Lisa Rowland. Sure is, Ted DeMizan. As always, to, to talk with you. So uh, thanks for listening in, folks. Yeah. And um, We out. If you, well, just before we we out. Oh, when you said wee wee. Wee wee. Go ahead. Wee wee. Uh, do a French accent, oi, oi. Mm. Oh, you said oui, oui. Oi, oi. Um, I just want to say this. <laughs> We've explored that sufficiently. <laughs> I want to say that. <gasps> the bunny's back. It's a oh bigger bunny. This is a big, okay. This is so, a really exciting time. Okay, we got to finish this. Finish it. What's in honor of thought? the big bunny, I just want to say to people, hey, find your rules. And define your own relationship to them. Play with them. Yeah. See what you think. Yeah. Check them out. Cool. If you break them, send us a note and tell us how it went. Yeah. You rebel, you. Play around with it. See what happens. All right. Cool. We'll see you on the backside. Bye-bye. All right. How'd that go for you, Ted Maison? I enjoyed it. It felt a little more scattered than usual, mm-hmm. not surprisingly, given the surrounding. Yeah. And so it didn't feel quite as linear. Yeah. Um, I quite liked that about it, in a way. Okay. It just really felt like a, a conversation. Right. Which was fun. A conversation in a lovely courtyard. Yeah. Or not even courtyard, grove. Yeah. And, and I'll be interested to hear what you listeners think about that conversation and, and how it sat with you, if it 
you know, if you were able to follow where we were going and if you enjoyed it and that sort of thing. I mean, I guess that we didn't know where we were going. Right. And I like that. I like that. I like that. It's not like there's not a message that we set out to deliver. It's like, let's just f- figure this. Let's let's let this go where it goes. Let's chat about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I always, whenever we talk, I'm just like, oh, my God, there's so many things we could talk about. Yeah. I'm so excited for this, this is to see how this unfolds. And yeah. It's like a, a hologram that everything seems to contain everything else. And so I feel like we're always making reference to these principles or these possibilities and like, oh, that could be a whole podcast. And then we get there and, ooh, that could be a whole thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fun how it opens up. Yeah. So we hope you liked, we hope you liked it. Hope you liked it. So glad you're listening. Yeah. And uh, now for our, for, our routine, for our routine business that we have at the end of our podcasts. Yeah. Uh, first off, if you would like to get in touch with us, if you have a question or something has resonated for you, or is confusing to you, and you want to let us know, we would love to hear from you. you got an idea for something something you think we ought to explore. That yeah. would be fun. Great. Yeah. And Info you... at monsterbabypodcast.com. That's right. That's right. If you are interested in engaging in some of this stuff with us, if you're listening and you're thinking, I want to I wanna try this, I want to get in there and experience, explore it myself, we have a couple of retreats coming up, and this is uh, to our listeners in the future. We are talking about 2016. Yeah. Future listeners. We're recording this in mid-May. Of in mid-May of 2016. So we have a, a June retreat on the East Coast in Maine, outside of Brunswick, Maine, from June 8th, 8th to 13th. 8th to 13th. And then we've got a Labor Day, September 2 through 5. That's correct. Retreat just north of San Francisco. In Petaluma. In Petaluma. And so if you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, I really wish that Ted and Lisa would lay down some rules for me. So I can follow them. You're out of luck. <laughs> you are out of luck. But we can suggest some values. Some tenets. Some, some tenets. guiding principles. That's right. And then it's up to you to figure out your relationship to them. Yeah. Come and join us. We would love to have that. With, share that with you. Ton of fun. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, but let us know what you think because we'll, we'll definitely respond if we, if we get a question. We like it. We like that. Mm-hmm. That's it. I think that's it. I have think a, that's it. Have a wonderful day or a normal day or if Cat. you're having a tough day. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. And Don't worry. It'll get better. Yeah. Everything changes. And I'll bet there's something interesting to note about it. Yeah. All right. The bunny says goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.